0: We finished two weeks ago um, the prophecy from uh, the beginning of Isaiah 9, but now we have to finish um, the rest of Isaiah 9. And we will do that today. Uh, we're gonna have two sections that we're gonna get through today. One section is uh, God's announcement of judgment against Israel. So remember, these things go in, they go in waves. prophecies usually go in, in waves. Um, you have an announcement of judgment. God is disappointed. You're not listening. You don't care. So God's gonna God's gonna judge you. And then there's a promise of after I'm done judging you, everything will be fixed. I'll make everything better. I'll fix everything, and things will be the way they're supposed to be before you all messed it up. And then after that, there's another judgment. So it's it's this up and down, up and down, uh, sort of thing. So Isaiah nine one to seven is a beautiful prophecy of this coming um this coming king who is going to bring darkness to everyone to the gentiles to everyone who's going to fix this world who will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace all this good stuff right very good Uh, now starting in uh, chapter 9 verse 8 he switches back and he is criticizing criticizing again so he's going to do that until chapter 10, verse 5, and then he's going to criticize Assyria. And we'll finish, um, I hope we'll finish chapter 10, I think we will, and then we'll see um, what God's message is, is there. And these messages are not, I've said this before, but these messages are not in chronological order, right? If you read Romans, he's just making this long argument, it's like a sermon, or it's like a reading an essay. Where he's making this long argument because of this and this and this, therefore that, therefore that. Uh, I, the prophets, the prophets aren't like that. So he, the prophecies aren't in just this linear fashion. So when we get to the prophecy against Assyria, we're going to catapult, you know, fifty years in the future from where he's been, and then he's going to catapult even further forward to eternity, like even further than we are now in Isaiah 11. And then later, he's going to come right back to the present day. So it's all this, it's all of this time machine jumping forward and backward all the time. So if you try and read it just straight, as though it's going in sequential order, it's going to be really confusing. So don't do that. Um, We'll start in chapter nine, verse eight, just because that's where he starts his judgment section. And we'll see what God has for us. Um, Israel is God's people. We are God's people uh, today. So when we read God's disappointment in his people, we should read ourselves. We should say, We're God's people, are we loving him with all the heart, soul, might, and strength or not? We shouldn't say, Oh, Israel, they're so dumb. We should say, are we making the same mistakes? Because we are his people too, here in the in the church, the same way Israel is in the in the old covenant. So we should ask ourselves whether we are doing this as a church and in our personal lives. That's the application we should think of when we read this. So we'll pray and then we'll we'll dive in. And I don't know, I, I, I made, I, I scared Kim away. She's not, apparently she's not planning on coming back. So, so who knows, I mean, I, I made it so she can unmute herself and then she just disappears, but that's okay. All right, let's pray. Dear Lord, we come to you today in Jesus' name. Help us to want to know you more and to love you and to um, be honest enough to think of ourselves and our hearts as we read about the mistakes our brothers and sisters made so long ago and help us to cling to the promise of grace and mercy that you give to them as we read about it today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so all of this good stuff is Brian. Hey, Ryan, you're all the good stuff. How's it going? Um, Okay, so starting in verse eight, we're shifting to the dark side now. All this good stuff now, disappointment. So Isaiah chapter nine, verse eight, the Lord has sent a message against Jacob. It will fall on Israel. Why why does God refer to Israel as Jacob? That That is who he was, right? And all of Israel (laughs) in an ethnic sense is descended from who? Jacob. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and then the 12 sons, the 12 tribes. All right. So Jacob is just like a pet name for God's people, for Israel.
1: Well, and God did change his name
0: to Israel. He did. After, after he wrestled with God, um, God changed his name to, to Israel. So yes, that's true. All right. So God says, I've got a message for you. Uh, verse nine. All the people will know it. Ephraim. And the inhabitants of Samaria who say with pride and arrogance of heart, this is what they say. The bricks have fallen down, but we will rebuild with dressed stone. The fig trees have been felled, but we will replace them with cedars. So what's the point of these this talk? We covered this like two weeks ago, but we'll just rehash. What do these statements say about their attitude, about God's judgment?
1: They're like arrogant, they think that no matter what God brings against them, they can
0: yeah they're like you destroy this house we'll just make it better who cares you know you break in and steal our soundboard it's okay we have insurance we'll buy a better one thanks you know it's just sort of yeah whatever yeah we'll carry on it doesn't matter
1: Did somebody steal our
0: soundboard? no <laughs> do your worst is sort of the um the, the idea like we'll we'll fix it whatever you can bring against us we'll just make it better so how about it nine,
1: verse
0: nine. and yeah Isaiah 9 we're in verse 11 now. But the Lord has strengthened Rezin's foes against them and has spurred their enemies gone Rezin is the king of Syria who's allied with the northern kingdom to attack the southern kingdom. Uh, Arameans from the east and Philistines from the west have devoured Israel with open mouth yet for all this. His anger is not turned away, his hand is still upraised. So, what God's saying is, listen, I, I bring judgment on you, and you you still don't you still don't care. I bring judgment on you, but God's not still not done. He still has more judgment that he's going to bring. And that's why it says, yet for all this, his anger is not turned ra- away, and his hand is still upraised, like a fist is raised to strike. He's not done disciplining his people yet still getting so verses 13 to 17 is sort of ratcheting up further but the people have not returned to him who struck them nor have they sought the lord almighty which is why he continues to discipline it's like in our personal lives this this is real uh, God doesn't want to be mean to us, but like a, fa- like a heavenly father, he wants to curb our behavior and deter us from doing stupid things. So when your children do dumb things or they behave badly, you have to discipline them so they will come back into the fold and act like they're supposed to. It's not like you enjoy hurting them, but you want to. Um, you want. Yeah, you want their you want their behavior to be better. Um so, so, yeah, um, you know, it, our, our parents discipline us to make us behave right. God disciplines us to make us behave right. That's what this is about. He'll make things not go well in our lives in, in a million different ways. Maybe it's with relationships. Maybe it's with your job. Maybe it's with your health. Maybe it's with a million things, but God will, God will make it clear that he's not happy with us so that we we start changing our ways not always not every time you get sick you know god's angry but it's worth thinking about if this is a cascade of things just keep going wrong in your life and you don't understand what's what's happening or why it's worth praying and asking god are you are you are you trying to send me send me a message because i'm interested in hearing it if, if you are if you are all right I've done. T- I've tried to talk about the parent thing three times, but you get what I'm saying. Um, God is our heavenly Father, and He disciplines us like a parent. In fact, Hebrews 12 even uh, even says that. You know, if, if if God didn't discipline you, then you would even it'd be proof you weren't even one of His children. You know, He He does discipline His children because He loves us. What's that? Oh yeah, Isaiah 9. So now we are actually achieving new ground. So starting in verse 14 to 17. So the Lord will cut off from Israel both head and tail, both palm branch and reed in a single day. Who, what is the head? What is the tail? So the elders and dignitaries are the head and the prophets that teach lies are the tail. So he's like sort of trying to encapsulate um, the two most important spheres of society, the, um, the, uh, the leaders of society, the elders, right, the, the 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 wise, the wise, not the wise guys. They're not mafia, but I mean, you know, the, the 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 leaders, and then the religious guys too. All of the prophets who are supposed to relay messages from God, but they're all corrupt. They're all worthless. They're all losers. So I'm going to like cut them off. Those who guide this people mislead them, and those who are guided are led astray. So, the if the leaders are corrupt, the people are going to be corrupt too it's like this culture thing. Have you ever worked for someone um, where the the culture in the workplace is just a disaster? And it's all because of like one or two people in management or at the top who make this nasty tone. It just ruins everything. Or maybe they turn a blind eye to things and it ruins the whole, like everything about work because now people are free to do things they wouldn't otherwise do, or they say things they wouldn't otherwise say, or it so much happens so much depends on the tone and the culture that leadership sets that just influences everything that happens at work and you you guys have seen this if you've been at work and then you get a new boss and the new boss is a real jerk and now everything's ruined i mean of you guys ever seen that before like the people are the same but it's that one guy or that one lady who's new who just ruins everything because the tone, the culture, the, the the attitude of the whole of the workplace is all destroyed now. Yeah. So it's the same way in a society here. If the leaders are bad, everything else is going to go bad too because the tone—it's it's poisoning everything. Yeah. Any organization, like a church, or uh, you know your your PTA, your homeowners association, or whatever—you know it's the same principle. The tone at the top can ruin everything or it can make everything really great. So verse 17, therefore, the Lord will take no pleasure in the young men, nor will he pity the fatherless and widows for everyone is ungodly and wicked, every mouth speaks folly. So it's like the infection is so bad because of the rot at the top that even the most vulnerable people in society are, are corrupted too. You know, the fatherless and the widows, everyone's ungodly and wicked. Not not like every single person with that exception, but I mean, the rot is spread everywhere, basically. It's all bad. Not good. And then that statement again, yet for all this, his anger is not turned away and his hand is still upraised. Like, he's still... Like you're being spanked, you're a child being spanked, and the, the the still more, there's still more to come, right? You think it's over after after five, but it's not. There's more because you've been so bad that proportionally you deserve more. You're going to, you're going to get more punishment. So he goes on and describes, you know, what in verses eighteen to twenty one, what this is. What it's like. Surely wickedness burns like a fire. It consumes briars and thorns. It sets the forest thickets ablaze so that it rolls upward in a column of smoke. What how does it describe wickedness? That's really interesting. A fire. Yeah, wickedness is like this fire. Like, have you seen pictures of this awful fire in New Mexico? You know this huge fires going on in new mexico right now both of them were caused by the u.s forest service that was doing a controlled burn but it just got out of hand and burst all over the place these are crazy fires like in california every like half the year california is on fire now it seems like uh what was it last year uh,
1: was it last year australia
0: no, yeah australia yeah, that was so
1: horrible.
0: it's like it's like sin it's like wickedness in this society he says wickedness is like this out of control Fire is burning everything, right? Neighborhoods gone, homes gone, businesses gone. Everything is just charred ruin. Sin is just destroying everything. It even pictures this column of smoke. You know, when when forest fires get bad enough because of all the smoke and all the oxygen is being sucked in and thrown up, they can develop their their own weather systems. Huge forest fires. They can develop their own their own weather systems inside this this self-contained bubble that's scary and terrifying stuff. And so he's describing this columns of smoke boiling in the sky is all that, you know, the fires sucking in air and you get these swirling up drafts and all this crazy stuff. That's what he says and is doing to society. And you can definitely see some parallels today. I mean, everything's gone wrong in our society. Um, even institutions you thought you, you, you thought you could trust or seem to be incompetent. The law enforcement response to the incident in Texas. You know, I was taught. You know, the the, the police are standing outside for over an hour but instead of charging into the classroom to confront the shooter. I was taught 20 years ago when I first uh, went to military police school. I was taught the old way, which is if there's an active shooter, you you surround. You surround the threat, establish a perimeter, you call in a tactical team. But after Columbine, where they did just that and the students just, okay, fine. They just wandered through the school killing people they found. They changed the doctrine so that as the officers arrive on scene, you go in and find the threat and you kill it. You kill him. You don't wait for backup, you don't wait for SWAT team. You you get out of your car, you go and you find the person, you kill them, period. But in Texas, that's not what they did. They, They suddenly reverted to 1999 and just, sat there and waited for a tactical team so even institutions that you can usually trust like police in texas surely these guys would be the ones that would go in and not not be ridiculous but guess what they did so it's like things are just broken all over When I mean, you can't even trust police in texas to kill people who are shooting children we got a problem in america right Just texas i mean if there's any police in any state that would go in to kill an active shooter who's murdering children, you would think it'd be Texas lawmen, but apparently not. So it's like, everything's broken. This is a picture in Israel. Everything's broken. So verse 19, by the wrath of the Lord almighty, the land will be scorched and the people will be fuel for the fire. They will not spare one another. On the right, they'll devour, but still be hungry. On the left, they'll eat, but not be satisfied. Each will feed on the flesh of their own offspring. Manasseh will feed on Ephraim and Ephraim on Manasseh. Together, they'll turn against Judah. So he's picturing, is he he picturing him, God, destroying everyone? Or is he picturing something else?
1: Sounds like they're going to turn on each other.
0: Yeah, he's saying, you're going to destroy yourselves. Isn't that really
1: interesting? Through cannibalistic. Sounds like it, is right? Is that what that means right there, is cannibalistic stuff? Yeah. Or just, just w- waging war and taking their possessions, but... Oh, yeah, no, I, I, truly cannibalistic, they're, yeah, yeah. They're
0: I, think it's referring to, I think it's referring to cannibalism, not right. because people are just going to eat each other because right. they want to, but during siege warfare in all centuries, when people get incredibly desperate because there's no food, some people turn to eating one another. Yeah. That happened in World War II in the Siege of Leningrad. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the, the Russians have surrounded Leningrad, which is now St. Petersburg, and uh, laying siege to it. The only route they had open was across, I forget which body of water it was, but across a frozen lake by, with a sled convoy. This the only way the Russians could get food in. And of course, it's not enough. It's a huge city. And even in the 20th century, you have uh, children start disappearing first animals disappear right. right cats and dogs vanish because they've been killed and eaten yeah. then little children start disappearing not everyone but some people become so desperate right. that they uh, they just start
1: yeah. kidnapping and murdering right. and, and, and eating and children parents, i've heard of instances like oh, uh, parents like, you don't do anything for their children and i mean even cook up, you know Oh, Bob yeah. next door to, you know. So, so th- this
0: isn't like, so this is like a result of yeah. utter deprivation I mean, yeah. and despair, no food, cities under siege, no water. I mean, there's like the oh. the end. Yeah. It talks about this other places, if anyone remembers, like, um, I can't recall like the reference, but there's several other places where, um, where it's in Kings, where it talks about, During one of the sieges of Jerusalem and some other places, where uh, prophecies about how things are going to be so bad, you're going to turn to cannibalism. That's how desperate things will become.
1: That's pretty desperate.
0: Yeah, but the thing is, you know, it it has happened. This isn't just a weird Bible thing. It's real. (laughs) It does happen. People are weird. People do crazy, the Donner Party. Do you know the oh, story yeah, about the yeah, Donner Party? Yeah, no, definitely. You don't know, you should look up the Donner Party. Oh, man, yeah. But anyway.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah it, it's, it's a wagon train right. in the frontier days. You know, they got right. caught somewhere in the, I don't, I'm, this is really vague, but axe. somewhere in the Rocky Mountains. Right. Like yeah. somewhere. And they got caught I've been by. In the, yes. the weather, and the, there's trapped. And they resorted to, to some extent, eating one another. I don't remember how they decided this or if they just ate the dead people or, or whatever. Yeah, but... it says
1: they ate the bodies of those with sick
0: Okay. All right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So. But this is a picture of it's not so much that God is going to destroy everyone, it's they'll destroy themselves. He'll let us destroy ourselves. Yet, for all this at the end of verse 21, why does Kim <laughs> look so happy? <laughs>
1: Enjoy the Lord as your strength, Kim.
0: As soon as I said they're going to destroy themselves, Kim grinned so big. I don't know what that's about.
1: <laughs> Alan making jokes about people looking yummy.
0: Oh, okay. <laughs> I do need to lose a few pounds. But look <laughs> <laughs> <What> elsewhere. <laughs> all right. So, so the end of verse 21, it's that phrase again. Yet for all this his anger is not turned away and his hand is still upraised so he's still upset why is he still upset so we're going to end this darkness here uh one to four in the next chapter maybe he's going to turn to Assyria um this is what he's upset about if you want to know why is God upset at his people what is it that they've done like what's the thing what's the problem here why is he so angry is he angry because they're not tithing is he angry because um is he angry chapter 10 verses 1 through 4 explain and these same reasons are all over all of the prophets so as you think as christians as we think what reason would god have to be angry at us we should probably take verses 1 to 4 and apply them the same way and think about it this is what it says woe to those who make unjust laws to those who issue oppressive decrees to deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people, making widows their prey and robbing the fatherless. What are the unjust laws? What are the unjust laws in the oppressive decrees that are issued? They like take advantage of the poor and like make it so it's harder for them to leave and probably give power to the yes. Uh, that's
1: just an oppressive decree.
0: That's what God says He is upset about. Now it doesn't mean, like if you want to put this for today, like how should we think of this today? That doesn't mean that God doesn't care about, about abortion, about the right to bear arms, or any other things that we think of as Americans because we live in America. So it's kind of we think of our context and things swirling around in our society. We might be tempted to think unjust laws, oppressive decrees, unjust laws. Abortion is legal, and hopefully it'll be overturned. We'll think we'll think something like that. We'll think um, COVID mask mandates or other oppressive government government things or things. We might be tempted to think things like that. It's oppressive. Woe to Governor Inslee because he issued an allegedly oppressive decree. Um, woe to the, the Supreme Court because of unjust laws. But that's not what God consistently points to as the big thing that really frustrates him. It doesn't mean abortion is good. I'm just saying that when God talks about unjust laws all over the prophets, he usually almost always ties it to verse two, the laws and decrees. What do they do? They deprive the poor of their rights and withhold justice from the oppressed of my people. How? It makes widows their prey and robs the fatherless, we're not talking about the guy on the off-ramp on I-5, we're talking about people who are deliberately targeted and abused by unjust laws in society, people who are crushed and smashed further and further and further down by people who are really well off, and no, I'm not trying to say I'm a communist, I'm just saying that this is what God's problem is, they withhold justice they they do it so they can rob widows and rob the fatherless there's so there, god's people. yeah go ahead uh,
1: when he says in verse two uh it, my people of their rights is he talking about his or is he talking about believers or is he just talking about humanity
0: yeah that's that's a good question he seems directly he's talking mm-hmm. about he's talking about believers It's the problem. The problem with uh, the problem when we look at the Old Testament laws is the situation is really different. So you have a government, God's government, that's supposed to take care of God's people in God's country, right? That that's what's that's what's there. That's the context. God's government is supposed to take care of God's people <laughs> in, God's country in Israel. But when we take it over to today, our, the U.S. is not God's government. So the most direct application is the people in the church, the people within the family of God, um, the unjust laws and oppressive decrees, uh, the, the, the church not helping and taking care of disadvantaged people or people who are who are um, oppressed or crushed by by society. The question is, what does this have to do with the outside world? That's the that's a question that a lot of people would disagree on. Some people would say this has nothing to do with Olympia, like city council in Olympia. It's got nothing to do with that. We have nothing to do with that. Our job is to worry about ourselves. And that's all this. That's all these passages are about. It's us, not the guys outside, not outside the family. It's just us. Other people would say. Yeah, we need to worry about our own family inside. We need to worry about Christians, but we need to push. We need to push God's values outside, too, so they can see Christ. Olympia Union Gospel Mission, City Gates Ministry, uh, Options Pregnancy Clinic. You know, they're not ministering to the church. They're ministering outside the church to bring Christ to them through their problems. You have an unplanned pregnancy. You didn't want to get pregnant. You are pregnant. Instead of going for an abortion, here's another option for you. Let us tell you about it. Let us give you free care, free advice, free supplies for the baby you're hopefully going to choose to still have. Right? They're doing, job, they're pushing justice outward to show people Christ. So there's different Christians will apply this in different ways. I guess that's a long way to answer the question.
1: That's good. Thank you. Do you have the cliff Notes version of that?
0: Yeah, the cliff notes version is it's hard. Oh,
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, but all I want to point out is, is that when God looks at his people and he's angry at unjust laws, unjust decrees, what he's angry about is that we do not show love to other people. That's what he's angry about. And as I said, some Christians say, you're right. We should love one another in the church. I agree. And other Christians will say, yeah, okay. We're also supposed to love other people uh, and push justice outside so they can see Christ and come inside. And other Christians will be like, that's wrong. That's social justice. And then you'll start arguing about critical race theory. And so, Yeah. So it's, um, but the point is God is upset when his people don't show love to other people. When his, when his people say they're, say they believe in him, but then do things to take advantage of other people. That's when God is upset. As an, as an example, um, an example, I, I mentioned this briefly, but, um, the Southern Baptist Convention is going to be is in huge trouble. It's the largest Protestant denomination in the country, 14-ish million members. They are in a huge crisis. They've been in crisis for several years because of sexual abuse scandals in their denomination. They have tons of pastors who sexually abuse children or women, and then instead of dealing with the issue when the church is investigating, and then firing the pastor or whatever. The pastors have a pattern of just doing this. Oh, there's controversy because I sexually abuse children. Oh, well, God has called me elsewhere. So I'm going to leave now. God bless. And you leave. It's never really told to the church. Only a few people know about it. So you leave and just go to another church and the other church doesn't know who you are. No one knows who you are. It's never been reported to anybody. And so you just start over at the new church until you do the same thing there. Then you go to the next church. And so this has happened over and over for years because because Baptists don't have a hierarchy. So each church is sort of on its own to some extent. You know, there's no bureaucracy like the Presbyterians have a bureaucracy. They won't let you become the pastor of this church um, if, if they don't want you to, right? There's... Bureaucracy above the local church. It's like a regional right. uh, leadership mm-hmm. and stuff like that, too. But the Southern Baptists knew that they had a huge problem. But instead of doing anything about it, their executive committee, which is their, their centralized little group of men and women who sort of run things during the year, there certain people on their executive committee kept a secret list of all the pastors who they knew of who had been accused of sexual assault and sexual abuse. But they never told anyone about it. They never told any churches about it. They never published a list. They never did anything about it. So they just let all these pastors bounce from church to church while maintaining and updating their list continually of potentially potential sexual predators. And they never told anyone about it. And you had all these abuse victims who are coming forward saying the Southern Baptist Convention needs to do something. My youth pastor did this to me. My pastor did this to me. And the executive committee would always respond with, well, you know, each church is responsible for itself, so we'll pray for you. But yet, behind the scenes, there's still, there's, they they add the name to the list, right? My pastor abused me, oh. Yeah, we can't do anything, sorry, we're gonna pray for you, bye. But but they added the pastor's name to a secret list they had. And so, this has now been made public and it's explosive and it's destroying, it's breaking the denomination apart. Uh, It's a huge controversy right? So how can you have an entire denomination that loves Christ and all these things? So this is what this means: Did they do justice to the people in their congregation and all the churches all these pastors went to, all the young girls, all the young boys, all the women who had been who've been preyed upon by these predators for, for years, for decades? And they had a list the whole time of reports, but they just kept it in a file cabinet.
1: It's the same thing the Catholic Church
0: did. So how can, this is an example of God's people not doing justice, of God's people depriving depriving victims of their rights, oppressing people. That's where this becomes real, right? That's where this becomes real. I know we're not the Southern Baptist Convention, but I'm just saying that's a real example of where this is an exact parallel of where God would look at his people and say, you guys are crazy, what's wrong with you? What happened to all this? I love Jesus. We need to be about Jesus. Why weren't you about Jesus when all these people are calling, telling you their pastors are abusing them? And you just say, you just give them the, up. can't do anything. Sorry.
1: You refer them to the passage in the Bible, the millstone around the neck.
0: So, that is that's an example of the exact same thing that's happening in Israel happening today in real world. Our Baptist Association, the General Association of Regular Baptist Churches even posted a, posted a, a, a response based on this, this horrible revelation about how our churches need to make sure that we take allegations seriously and we don't, we don't be company men. You know, Company men, they just wanna protect the brand at all costs. They wanna protect the organization and instead of viewing people who come with, um, with with reports of abuse as problems to be minimized or threats to be neutralized, you view them as people who've been hurt who need Jesus to help them. And the offenders need to be banished. So this is a real world example of these concerns today in 2022. But it,
1: it seems like it's so now that all this came to light i mean now we're getting off on rabbit trails i'm sorry oh, that's okay. now that all this came to light just like god is telling the uh israelites here now that it's come to light, what are they going to do about it
0: that's the, that's the big question they have their annual meeting in anaheim next month and it's going to be a meeting for the ages for sure because like any group you have a hardcore you have a, you have a group of um you have a group of hardline people who don't want to do anything, right? Things are fine. We just need to double down on making sure that churches do a better job. Uh, and they, they usually, some of these guys often denigrate victims and say that will suggest, well, maybe they had it coming or maybe they maybe they led yeah. the guy on, nasty <laughs> things like that. There's always men who think things like that. Yes, There's always nasty men who think things like that. And nasty pastors too. Um, there's some really vile things that have been said. And then you have other guys who are reformers who are like, this is outrageous. we need to we need to abolish the executive committee. We need to kick people off boards and we need to fix this and really have a reckoning with how we can make sure this never happens. Yeah. So we'll see what they do next month. It'll be a it'll definitely be a, um, a fiery meeting.
1: Yeah.
0: So um, now, The rest of chapter 10 is judgment against Assyria, um, which we can probably cover in 15 minutes because he's he's saying something that's really simple or not, but we'll see. Does anyone want to talk about anything we've talked about so far before I just dive into poor Assyria? Nothing. The Southern Baptists have released the list in response to the revelation. They hired a third party firm to do an investigation of the convention. It took a lot of effort to get a vote to get that passed because the reactionaries, the, the, the company men didn't want an investigation. Um, and it took a lot of effort to get it done. But the investigation was released. It was quite damning. Um, they even implicated a very prominent Southern Baptist pastor named Johnny Hunt uh, sexually assaulting a married woman about 15 years ago. Uh, It was awful report. And in response, they did release the secret list they've been keeping for 20 years. And people are going through and saying, that guy was my youth pastor 20 years ago. Not that he ever did anything to them, but they're like, that guy was my pastor 20 years ago. Southern Baptists across the whole country are scouring this list right now saying, I can't believe it. I know that guy, you know, and things like that. So that's, that's the first step as to what they've done. And of course, they've all issued, all the leaders have issued, you know, generic Oh, this—the report's awful. We need to pray. We'll see if they actually do anything. Because Christians are good at doing pro forma things too. You know, Christians know how to use Christian language to put people off. We need to pray and have a time of reflection and think about how we can represent Christ. But yeah, okay, what are you going to do? Enough with the—enough. Let's put the flowers away. What are you going to do? So we'll see that's what they i think they can um, i don't know if the organ if the whole convention can be sued because of the way they're structured because the convention isn't in charge of the churches the churches are in charge of themselves the churches just choose to be a part of the convention so the re, the big reason why the the company men didn't want an investigation is because they feared the convention would be sued by victims which in itself is pretty pathetic to that's, me that's isn't that pathetic gosh, Isn't that but that like we don't want to investigate to find out how bad the problem is because we might be sued. Yeah. Tells you what's right. Tells you what your real concern is. It's money. Right,
1: money. And reputation. Right. And not not people, not human beings being hurt. Yeah. Children.
0: Yeah.
1: And well, and adults, but women um, and boys.
0: Yes. Exactly uh, correct. So Isaiah 10. Okay, so I'm going to introduce this and we'll talk about it more next time. We have 12 minutes. So I don't think it's quite enough time. This is an answer to how God literally chooses what happens in the world, right? He decides, he doesn't, God is not a chess master who sees what we do, but he's so good, his counter move always works. People have, when people try and picture, how is God responsible? How is God decide what happens, and yet we're responsible. Some people do a chess analogy, and they say, well, we make our moves. We move our pawn up here, but God is such a good chess player that no matter what we do, he always beats us, so we do what we want, but God is like a ninja and always moves this way and defeats us. That's not what the Bible says. That's not what Isaiah 10 suggests Because he's going to talk about it? he's going to punish Assyria. Why? He's the one who told Assyria to attack the northern kingdom and wipe them out. We cover that in a few in a few other chapters in chapter seven and eight Assyria is going to come to destroy the northern kingdom and Assyria and lay waste to the whole area. They're going to come because God will bring them. But yet, in Isaiah 10, God is going to say, I'm going to punish Assyria for what they did. Now, either God is schizophrenic or you need to make both of them work. So this is what it says. I'll read, um, I'll read verses five to, 5 to 19 and then think about what this says and its implications. Is there a, yeah, let's, I'll read it. Let's speak for itself. Woe to to the Assyrian, the rod of my anger, in whose hand is the club of my wrath. So he's jumped forward as though Assyria has already taken out everyone except Judah. And then he's talking about what he's going to do like 50 years in the future. So the DeLorean has gone forward in time. Assyria is the rod of his anger. Like he's used them. They are the club of his wrath. He's used Assyria to punish the northern kingdom. But now he says, woe to them. I send him against a godless nation, Israel. I dispatch him against a people who anger me to seize loot, to snatch plunder, and to trample them down like mud in the streets. Like that's what he sent them to do. So what's the problem? They they did what he asked. Verse 7. But this is not what he intends. This is not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy, to put an end to many nations. What does that mean? What has a Assy- why is he punishing Assyria? Like Assyria had its own intent to attack Israel because
1: it wanted a of wander and land and prisoners for itself. But God Sort of motivated their action, like kind of put the desire in of the guy's mind, like the or whatever,
0: to innovate. Like he used their actions mm-hmm. um, for good. Uh, Tim? So
1: my understanding is they did all this, but their purpose is like Satan's purpose mm. is always attacking to try to get rid of Israel.
0: Okay. But so this is a question. Assyria did go in and destroy the northern kingdom to bring God's judgment. He used them to bring his judgment. He did. They did trample them down like mud in the streets. So what did Assyria do wrong? That is not what he intends. That's not what he has in mind. His purpose is to destroy. So what about Assyria's action was wrong if that's what God brought them to do? don't know that god is using them
1: for
0: that so okay yeah the so the real reason was just because they just want to kill like, yeah, yeah. Kill okay yeah so the assyria didn't go saying i there is only one true god he wants us to punish these people and that's what we're going to do because we worship god that's not why they went they went because they're like our job we want to kill that's what we want to we want to kill we want to destroy we want to conquer that's what we want to do but in, on a on a subconscious level god is using their sinful wish to destroy to accomplish what he wants but they're not doing it because they love god they're doing it for their own purposes so like judas judas did not Judas was not saying, I have no choice. I must betray the Messiah because if I don't betray him, he won't be arrested and executed and die. And salvation will never come. I have no choice. I must go to the priests and ask for 30 pieces of silver. No,
1: he didn't say that the devil had entered into him. He did. God allowed this to happen.
0: Judah, Judah, what what am I saying? Judas. Yeah, (laughs) Judas. Judas wanted money. That's why he did it. But on a level that Judas didn't even know God had determined that he would do that because Jesus had to be betrayed and to be tortured and to die. So we do exactly what we want for bad reasons. But through channeling our genuinely bad desires, God accomplishes what he wants
1: glorified his name will be glorified even through the most wickedest God can use anyone to bring glory to his name
0: and I'm not saying that's easy to get but what I am saying is that's the answer that's the Bible's answer some people try and push further and talk about philosophy which is fun but that's what I just said I really believe is as far as we can go if people say yeah so what does it mean that I got to say listen I got no idea all I know is these two things are true (laughs) We do what we want, and God judges us for our bad thoughts and our bad intentions and our bad motives. Well, see, and that's going back to right. God
1: judges, He's the ultimate judge Mm -hmm. because you're not going to get going back to the Southern Baptist Conference and the actions of these um, pastors, teachers. um, Mm -hmm. You know, ultimately, there's no justice here, but these people are going to be held accountable for what they've done to, you know, so, uh, and and I see the parallel here, Assyria Mm -hmm. is going to be held accountable, individually, uh, Judgment Day, you know, uh, for their hard attitude. Yeah. You know, and that's, with man there is no satisfaction of judgment because there that's why lawlessness is so out of control right now there is no penalty for for murdering people for mass murder there's mm-hmm. no penalty there's no um, corporal punishment there's no you know uh, California. You get arrested for something, you're turned out. You know, it's just a, a, a revolving door. There is no penalty, so people are going to continue to do what is wrong. But then you look at other countries, per se, um, where if uh, somebody steals something, they lose a hand, mm-hmm. you know, or some fingers or something. Well, that's a pretty good deterrent, I would think.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, you know, so there's no, not any more in this country. I'm talking about, you know, United States. Yeah. There is no penalty for, for doing anything wrong.
0: Yeah, certainly in some cities. Yeah, definitely. The, you know, the, this passage, this passage is one of the best passages to, to, to go to, to think about how our, free will and God's sovereignty work together. You can go to Judas, like I mentioned Judas, you can go to um, the Babylonians, Habakkuk one, says the same thing basically as this, but this is a really powerful passage. It gives us a small glimpse through a really small window into how we are not robots who just do what God wants and can't be held responsible. But neither is God always reacting to us like a master chess player. Um, we're responsible for what we do. And when we do bad things, we're responsible for it. We can't say God did it. You know, God's in charge anyway. So I guess, you know, uh, that's what he must, must have wanted me to do it. I don't know if anyone who really believes that, but it'd be absurd if you did. The Assyrians, God used them. They were his vehicle to bring judgment on Israel. but they're still going to be punished because they didn't do it because they wanted to be God's vehicle to bring justice. They did it just because they wanted to kill and conquer. So God isn't, what does this mean for you? I'll try and desperately wrap up and we'll, we'll finish chapter 10 next week with one minute left. Um, what's this mean for you? God is in charge of what happens in your life. You're not the victim. You're not, you're not like this little lifeboat tossed around by hurricane winds here, there, desperately trying to hold on. God what happens in your life happens because God has a plan. They might be because you made stupid mistakes, but God is not there saying, oh, no, I didn't think Tyler would do that. What move can I make with my queen to make sure that I fix this? Uh, God, if you're a Christian, God will protect you even through your own stupid mistakes. And he will bring you through the foolishness of your own mistakes, or, or the evil of what other people do to you, he will bring you through if you trust him and cling to him and love him like you're supposed to. If you love him, he's going to continue to bring you through. You need to trust him. You need to love him. You need to believe that because God is in charge, even over the most powerful nation on the earth, God is in charge even of that. So that means that if you belong to him, he won't let anything happen to you unless he has a good and holy reason for it. If he watches out for the birds of the air and the sparrows and the lilies, he's gonna watch out for you. Jesus even said that. So, Israel, disaster is striking, Assyria is coming, horrible things are happening, but you know what? Throughout everything that could ever happen to you in your life, God is in charge, and if you love him, he has a good reason for allowing it to happen. You need to trust him. We need to, we need to love him and trust him to get us through whatever time we're stuck in so that we can come out through the other side better and stronger and holier and more like his son in whose image he
1: made us to be.